everybody to the kitchen table. All right, we're doing a podcast here. Um, it's something new for us. Um, it's something that Josh and I thought of um, as, a, as a new platform to kind of get information out there. Um, and we, we surrounded it with the concept of the kitchen table because as we know, the kitchen table is where all the good conversation happens, where a lot of the world's uh, problems are solved. Um, so what we'd like to do is create topics and bring in guests and have conversations around our kitchen table. And, it, and at some point we hope to get out uh, to the stations and do this around a, a real kitchen table. Uh, the topics that we discuss um, are just topics that, that popped into my head or, or into Josh's head and, and are, are more questions than anything else to, to stimulate conversation. Um, for example, the topic we're talking about today is resiliency and, and it just popped into my head because I'm working with my kids now um, on how to be resilient and I, and I really was having trouble defining it. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, if I'm having trouble defining it, maybe, maybe other people are too and, and it'd be a good conversation uh, for us to have. Yeah, so. absolutely. I, I look back at the conversations that I've heard around the CSFD kitchen tables and they're the ones that really, I guess, define the culture of CSFD or let me know what the, the values are of the organization. I mean, I know we can look in policy and go, here's our, here's our shared values. But when we have these conversations around the kitchen table, those are the ones that really make me go, yes, like this is who we are as an organization and this is who I want to be as a part of that. Um, so I agree. And then the other thing, this is that opportunity where we can discuss all those gray areas in the job. You know, all those things sure. that, that aren't defined in policy and procedures or tack ops. And that, you know, we'll sit around ones and we'll figure out a plan for something but that plan always doesn't get to the rest of the job. So sure. I also yeah, think. Yeah, and I think you know, a lot of these topics are gonna be philosophical topics. They're gonna be very nebulous, very gray, not yeah. something that's well-defined in, in TAC Ops. Um, a podcast we're gonna have in the future is, um, what, is a, what is a thinking firefighter? Yeah. And that's not anything that's answered for us in any book. Um, I think it's something that we decide as a, as a department Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a culture that we build because we want to, um, as opposed to, yeah, this is what IFSTA says, or this is what TACOP says, or this is what policy and procedure says. Um, it's something that we want to be as a group of people, as a tribe that is the CSFD. So a lot of the things that we're going to talk about aren't black and white, yeah. necessarily. Yeah, when you say tribe, I feel like we create that tribe better in the station. You know, I've felt more connected to the crews that I've sat at the kitchen table and been a part of these conversations and then been able to speak my point of view, kind of had that, um, you know, the courage to go, hey, this is how I feel about it. And coming together as that, you know, group of four or eight or whatever, whatever station you're at, um, and just to be more a part of something than being told, you know, this is what you're going to do. This is what your job is. You know, I think that that's the, the creating that culture and creating those values together. You know, this is this is that opportunity for us to do that at more of an organizational level, mm -hmm. even though this is a podcast and it's not feedback, but it just it really opens up that discussion at the, you know, at the stations themselves. Sure. What is it that we're trying to accomplish with this? I don't, and I don't personally think that we're trying to teach anybody no. anything. 
No, absolutely not. I, this is not a, yes, we're the training division and this is kind of where this is coming out of, but some of my best lessons learned haven't been from something I read in the book or something that um, was truly defined. It's been through experience and I feel like that's what this podcast should be about. It's not like, hey, we're going to sit and talk for an hour and we're going to tell you information that we're going to test you on. It's truly just open up discussion. And um, like the incident that I talked about, when I have a station captain call me back and say, hey, you guys put out this information and we were talking about it at this station and we call these other two stations, I feel like we're, we're hitting the nail on the head. It's like, this is what we need to be doing. So through this podcast, we can do just that. And we can do it not just, you know, fire. I mean, we could do fire, we could do medical, we could do DFM, we could do, you know, emotional, uh, you know, mental and emotional things. I mean, really, it's, it's really great opportunity for us as an organization to expand and get outside what the book says. Well, I'd say doing this podcast with you is a mentally and emotional challenge. <laughs> why would you even say that? I have no I, idea. I don't know why you would say that either. I would say, if anything, when I was working for you as a lieutenant at Station One, maybe that was the mental challenge. Oh, there's no you know? doubt about that. Yeah, no there, there was that. that time frame too. Sure. I was going to come in here and I was going to say all these great things that um, you know that I learned from you as a chief. But instead, let me start digging through my toolbox of all the don'ts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there's quite a few. I I have no doubt, but I think you bring up a good point. Um, the design of this isn't to teach anybody anything really but it's to create conversations in the station so we can learn from each other. Um, because of a lot of what we're going to be talking about as cultural things, yeah. we get to decide what we are as a culture. Um, we have our shared values, mm -hmm. so those are the things that we've created as a fire department. There were ranks from you know, all different shifts, all different stations, mm -hmm. fast, slow. We came up with these shared values, our core values. Um, so that is what we are because we decided that was it. Um, and that's what we'd like to, to, to relay here. Some of the things that we're gonna talk about fit within those shared values mm -hmm. and are things that we, we create as a culture. We get to decide what kind of culture we have. Is it, is it one that's, you know keeps people isolated and separated or is it one where we're brothers and sisters and we're a big family? Mm -hmm. um, that's something we decide as a group, not necessarily um, allow other people to define for us whether it's you know the city the state or the fire service on a national level we, yeah. just, we just don't interesting for you to say the the isolation part in the time period that we're in with COVID right now you know with multi-company training being shut down for a certain amount of time and not being able to intermingle with the other crews and things like mm -hmm. that out there I bet you we're slow like the longer we would do that I think we would slowly be getting further and further apart as a, you know, as a tribe, as a team, sure. and, and becoming these individual pods. Sure. And well, I think we see that in the stations right now, right, with individual bedrooms. That's true. It's just yeah. not the same as when we had one single bunk room. You know, we'd go in for BMPs, we'd tell stories. That was more of a t team building thing than any, anything else, whereas um, now with the individual bedrooms, it's easy for people to get separated kind of put that silo up, close that door. Um, so it behooves us as a group to sit around the kitchen table and have conversations and be intentional about what we're, 
what we're doing, our team making, our relationship building. Yeah, I mean, I guess the podcast is great for uh, multitasking and it's also great for I'm driving into work and I'm, you know, listening, I'm spending that time also listening to something else, learning something, you know, being a part of something. But I, what you just said, you know, we're doing this as a kitchen table format and actually it would be really cool, you know, sit around a double company house, single company house, wherever you're at and listen to it as a group and be able to have that conversation together while this is happening sure. or pausing it or, um, you know, kind of whatever, whatever that thing is. Sure. You will be able to get this podcast either on video or in audio um, at your favorite podcast port or app. channel. Podcast app. app. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, as well as we'll put it on Vimeo for you. So if you want to see us having that conversation, that's a better way for you to learn and digest some of the information. Yeah. So be it, you can listen to it on the drive home. You yeah. can listen to it coming into work. Uh, you can put it on while you're writing reports. We want to give you access to this as, as much as we can and, and hopefully um, it, it has some value for the, for the folks out there. And, and some of the topics, if we can have an impact on one, two, five people, um, I think it's, it's a win for us. It's a win as a department. If we can help somebody better themselves who can then better someone else, then, then, then yeah. we've accomplished what we're trying to accomplish. I, I think so too. And even that one person, you know, whether we impact the organization or one person, that's all it takes is, you know, you to make a positive change in one person's life because that one person is going to go impact one or two people. And then that's where you see that, um, you know, that big chain of, of growth. Sure. Um, you know, the one thing that I, I listen to podcasts a lot, and one thing that I appreciate it about it is I feel more like, intimate with the conversation. I feel like I'm more of a part of that conversation when I'm not watching somebody talk on TV. Sure. You know, when I just close my eyes or do something else and I'm just listening to them talk and I can't mm -hmm. see them, it's, it's a different experience for me. So, mm -hmm. you know, I hope that, you know, we can kind of create that out there as well. Um, when we have the right equipment and we start moving and we can do this at a firehouse kitchen table, um, I mean, I think it would be great if, you know, companies are out there and they're having these conversations and they're like, man, we, that was a great conversation at the kitchen table today. If they would call us up and go, hey, we just talked about this and we'd love to have this conversation again for the department to listen to. Sure. Um, I think that would be a good step in this as well. So not just us saying, this is what we're talking about today, but really getting the organization involved. Sure, and that's easy. You know, if you have a topic that you'd like to talk about or you just talked about and you'd like to, to, to share it with the job, please call Josh or I yeah. uh, in the training division and we'll come out to you. We're working on getting the equipment that we need to come and be mobile uh, and have these conversations around a real kitchen table and a real firehouse that's working and, and, and doing things as we go. Today's conversation is about resiliency. It was a long conversation, uh, long enough that we're gonna have to put it into two parts. Um, our guests were Dr. Judith Long, mm -hmm. who's our staff psychologist, and Lieutenant Brian Kurtz, and 18-year veteran, some, somewhere around I, there. I think he's, yeah, he's had um, 18, 18 years, and, and Brian's had a, a really cool career where you know, he was a firefighter, and then he was a medic, and he spot, spent a lot of years at, in the rescue program. Mm -hmm. And he's got a lot of exposure and experience. He's coming from other fire departments. Um, he's got three girls at home. He lives a busy life. And as most of us know, Brian's been through 
um, a lot recently. Mm -hmm. um, he recently lost his wife. Um, and when I, when we start talking about resiliency, to be able to get through something like he's done and continue to come into work and continue to do the job that he does um, and that he's doing, to me that defines kind of what, what we're talking about. So that's why I truly appreciate him having the courage to come on the, on the show with us today and talk about this. And you know I love Judith. Judith is, is she's been really great for me since I've, um, since I've known her. Um, I've had my own ups and downs on the job, and I have no problem talking about that and saying that I've had to use Judith on a professional level, and it's done wonders for me, uh, my family, my mental health, my, you know, my career, um, hopefully for the longevity of my career. So I truly appreciate having her on here and having that professional perspective as well. So I, I think this is going to be a great, you know, this is a great episode. And yes, it's long, but you can't get through a, a topic like resiliency in 20 minutes. Sure, sure. You know, and I, and I, I appreciate both of them coming on as well. This is our, our first stab at this too. Um, so having them come on, provide both, you know, from Brian's perspective, uh, very personal experience, um, and from Judith's perspective, uh, some clinical, some personal. Uh, she, she, she really well made the group very well-rounded. Um, and I think a lot of people will identify what we're talking about simply because 2020 in and of itself, there were you know highs and lows for everybody. Um, some of the highs were higher, some of the lows were lower, but everybody experienced some sort of obstacle or turmoil in their life over the past year and had to question whether they were resilient or not. And so by us talking about it and maybe defining it a little better, it certainly helped me and, and I hope it helps others. Yeah, absolutely, me too. Uh, the one interesting thing is before we got into this podcast, when, when Judith asked us, you know, what do you want from me? And she's like, do you want me to be here as the professional or do you want me to be here? And I think you said as the, the human, more human. I think yeah, that was more human, <laughs> was yeah. yeah. But it was a really, it, it, that one was, it was a hard question to answer right off the bat, not knowing, not having done this before. Um, but hopefully, I mean, I know for me, I feel like the, um, she did the, the role that we needed her to because she was really a part of the personal conversation and not just telling us, hey, from a clinical aspect, you guys are screwed up. Sure, yeah. <laughs> well, which, which would be easy to do for us. Yeah. All right, without further ado, let's start this podcast on resiliency with Dr. Judith Long and Lieutenant Brian Kurtz. All right, let's get going. So the concept or the question for this podcast, I kind of, we're going through COVID right now and, I, and I'm trying to teach my kids how to be resilient. And so that, that word kind of popped into my head. Um, and I've had trouble tr trying to one, define it, I guess for myself and my kids, as well as um, provide my, my kids good tools and good lessons on how to be resilient. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe firefighters are having those same issues too, you know, like, we're going all going through tough times. We all need to be resilient, but what is that really? And so I guess I'd like to start the conversation out with, you know, what is it to be resilient? What is resiliency? And let's start with you. 
Um, you know, for me, I feel like resiliency is just something that is is kind of turned off and back on throughout your life. You don't just you know wake up every day and say, I'm going to be resilient, I'm going to be resilient. But I feel like you find moments where you're like, wow, I am being or I need to be more resilient. So um, it's hard to, to put an actual definition to it, but I feel like a system's built to keep you from getting stuck. Um, I know we all have things that we carry around and we all have um, impacts in our lives that, that are positive and negative and I feel like some of those negative impacts can stick with you and I feel like being resilient is just kind of getting unstuck from those and having a healthy way of, of dealing with those adversities to come out on top, um, to not get to the very bottom of the barrel or maybe you need to get to the bottom of the barrel to develop more resiliency to get something in the end that you can pass on to somebody else. So I feel like resiliency is just like coming out on uh, just being, just having a state of being that you feel okay with things and, and it's not always going to happen, but you're getting better to be okay or you're, you know, you're really okay and then you, you kind of pre-plan for those down times and rely on, you know, that mind strength training when you do have a hard time that you can open up your mind and and get through those things, whether it's through traditions, through mentoring and calling those of people that are important in your life, through professional counseling, through, um, you know, it, it could be with money. You know, you might need a financial advisor when you're having a hard time putting things together. So it's really the coping of resources, in my opinion, of what you need to just be, just to continue to be, so. Mm -hmm. Judith, so, you probably have a couple different perspectives, like one clinical and one. I, I wanted. I almost wanted to say more human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because clinical certainly isn't human. Yeah. But experiential. Uh, yeah, like that'd that. probably be a good word for it. Yeah. So, what do you think? I mean, I think that that term is really slippery. I mean, certainly if you look at the field of psychology, like they're not agreeing on what is resiliency. So therefore it's hard to measure it and therefore it's hard to say, oh, this is what you need to do to become resilient. Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing I do think more on that experiential level is that we can look around us and we look at people around us and we say, oh, that person's resilient. So to me, I feel like we have some intuitive sense of what it means to be resilient. Um, and I think we can look around us and say that person's not really, you know, rebounding okay after that adversity mm -hmm. or whatever. So I think we have these examples that we kind of cue off of and we use to kind of evaluate, am I, how am I being in this moment? Am I really rising to that challenge? Am I navigating through it? Am I moving or am I stuck? So I feel like we have an intuitive sense of it. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's important to pay attention to. And I think we look around, the, around us and look to the people to see what we can learn from them. Mm -hmm. That seems kind of what I've been able to gather because as I'm, you know, talking to my kids about resiliency, you know, it's identifying a problem and, and pushing through it to solve the problem mm -hmm. and not staying idle or um, not facing to the, facing the challenge that's in front of you. And that's about the best I could really come up with, you know, and because you got to, I think, for kids and many adults, you have to put it on more simplistic terms. It doesn't have to be super complicated, mm -hmm. you know, and so it was just that constantly pushing through and you're, you're faced with adversity as, as your life goes up and down through the 
you know, the good times and the bad, the highs and the lows. It's, you know, pushing your way through that regardless of the, of the crisis or problems that have faced you. Does that seem... Yeah, and I agree with Brian um, that it's not a constant, right? I don't think like resiliency is a place, okay, I'm resilient, I can handle anything, right? It's, mm -hmm. It really doesn't work that way. It's really just, life is just never going to stop. And, yeah. and it's really just um, navigating through those times where you're feeling really challenged and not getting stuck there. Yeah. So. I feel like there is time where you feel like you're not being resilient, though, where you just yeah. feel like, I am not getting through this okay, yeah. and that's where... It, it's good to lean on whatever system you have put in place and look for resources and talk to people or even just look within yourself and pick up a book or whatever you do to get yourself better. But you can, I, I, it is hard to tell when you're being resilient, but it's, for me, it's kind of easy to tell when I'm like, I need to get my ass up and do something. Like I, I'm not being resilient right now or I'm not, I'm not feeling well right now. So, if, and there's a time to lay down too, I think. I think there's a time that you need to gather things by just laying for a minute and stop that push for a minute just to figure out what's going on. So we're, you know, fire terms is pulling everybody to the cul-de-sac for a second and going, are we doing this the right way? And really, I've found that that's helped me a ton is just to take a break for a minute and go, okay, let's get a good thousand, three thousand, thirty thousand foot view and go, is this where I want to be right now? Is this where I need to be? And if the answer is no to that, then you, you need to push towards something else. And those are the walls that you're trying to overcome with your, your kids sure. and, and get through those things. Sure. Chief, I've been the same as you, where I've been trying to figure out what, what it means and what it is. And I've been looking at it for a while. And to me, it's almost as difficult as, as explaining something like leadership, you know, because there's just so many things that go along with it. It's not one thing. You can't just say, Here, here's what it is. This is leadership or this is resiliency. I think it's a very individual thing. But for me, I have to break things down and make them as simple as possible. So I, I'd use some of the words that Brian, that you just use. And for me, it's um, someone's ability to work through um, adversity and um, challenges in their life. And when I look at, you know, how do we do that or what does that mean? I think the easiest way for me to look at it is go, to be resilient is to almost be present. It's like, I'm not worried about the past. Um, I'm not dwelling on the past and I'm not worrying about what's gonna happen tomorrow, but I need to focus on what's right here and right now and kind of learn different tools to be able to, to manage what's happening. So Brian, you said being, you know, and I think it's the same as I'm being present. I'm being present right here, right now. And it allows me to be more resilient by working through this moment and not worrying about the rest of what's going on because i've had a lot of years of worrying about something that i said or did or things in the past yeah. or what's coming up tomorrow and i look at it now and it's like a lot of i think a lot of wasted or a lot of added stress in your life that you have to learn to you know manage and deal with so that's uh you know i think that it's it's hard for me to explain as well, but that's, if I break it down, that's kind of the way I see it. Do you, do you have to, does it have to be a crisis to be resilient? Because I would look at your, maybe your doctoral program and knowing my father and what he went through um, to get his doctorate and, and how challenging that was. Can it be, I say something as simple as going through an education program, doctorate program, uh, trades, 
apprenticeship, things like that. Can, can that be resiliency as well? Hmm. Um, I think that it, I mean, I think that it can. I mean, I don't consider myself be, to be a resilient person for mm -hmm. uh, having gone for the doctor. In fact, sometimes I look back on it, I'm like, that was the stupidest thing I've ever done. Um, <laughs> but um, I, think, I think when the challenge really just hits us in a deep, meaningful way, like that's the chance for resiliency. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? So like mm -hmm. if during my doctoral program, you know, I was starting to call into question whether or not I could really do this whether or not I had the energy, whether or not I had the, you know, the intellect uh, to do this. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, like I think those things are the core things. When we start to question who we are and how we are in the world uh, based on the challenges that we're presented with, to me that's where kind of resiliency resides. But I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't say like I'll stick to that because I'd like to hear like what you all have to say about well, that. Well, it's interesting what you say because I, because to me that would be resiliency because you had the opportunity to just go, this isn't for me, I'm yes. done, I'm quitting. And you push through it anyway. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a crisis and, and you know, the adverse impact wasn't maybe, maybe or maybe not would have been realized if you'd stopped doing it, you'd have done something else, but maybe may not have been negative. But, you know, persevering and, and being resilient and pushing through that seems to me what we're talking about regardless of kind of the negativity that may, may surround it or not. Because my dad honestly says is he wishes he had never gone through it. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, I mean, he got health issues from it and it was just really, really demanding of him, especially in the, you know, the early 70s. That's kind of was the old school leftover mentality that, you know, you really earned that. Yeah, sink or, or yeah, sink yeah, or swim kind of. Yeah, at, at all costs, you know, and, and yeah. as he went through his career, he's like, well, look, now you have to have as a master's to be a academic you know? so why did, why did I do that so yeah, I really want us to get into that side of it more too because I think there's a side of resiliency where it's okay to stop you know sometimes it's like enough is enough you know if, if it's affecting you in a negative way you know it's not being a quitter you know but it's like you have to know where the end is so that I don't want to get into that part right now but um, when I think of resiliency I don't think it has to be about a thing um, you know, I, it can be, I might be passionate about doing something, so that thing might be easy for me to do, whereas, you know, like Brian, you might go, I hate doing whatever that thing running. is. We can say it, Josh. I hate running. Uh, running. Yeah. So let's do it. Like <laughs> right there with you, Brian. you like to run. I, I, I hate it. Yeah, so for me, <laughs> to go, for me to go out and run, it's like, okay, this is great. It makes me feel good. Right. You know, I Not like this. Feeling. There's no resiliency involved in that. Right. But for you to put on a pair of running shoes, and I'm oh, like, hey, man. Brian. Let's go run. Let's go run five miles. You know, mm -hmm. for you to be able to get through that, that's going to take resiliency for you. So, yeah. I think it's a very individual and a very specific thing based on anything, time of life, time of day. Um, you know, whatever those things are. Um, and on the backside, are you not being resilient when you give that up to, or when you pause that to kind of go through your pros and cons list of what's going to benefit you, your family, your world, your like, I know running's not going to benefit me as much as, you know, a quick 45-minute high-intensity workout because of the way I'm built and what we do and how I move and how my brain doesn't like running. <laughs> so I figure that, you know, is that, is that a resilient piece, too, that you just realize what you're capable of? And, you know, not everybody has to get to the top of Everest or else it wouldn't be an accomplishment. Not everybody runs 100 miles, but also... 
you know, there's just different, you're right, it's different for everybody. So maybe just finding that component and having the bounce back method and not just giving up film, well, I quit just because I wanted to. Yeah. You quit because it didn't benefit you because it was taking tons of time away from your family to train for that because it's, so you do your pros and cons list for whatever it is, whether that's promoting through the fire service and taking classes and getting your degree before you promote and putting off a two and five year old at home or do you want to do that when they're 18 and 20 and gone? When do they need you? When does your, when does your world change? So I, I don't know if that's a piece of resiliency is kind of picking a path. I feel like when you're not being resilient and when you're stuck is when you're just kind of like, I'm done and you're debilitated by it. So I yeah. feel like resiliency is always there in some sense, but when you're sure. debilitated by a decision or you're debilitated, debilitated by a situation that causes you to completely freeze up and have no more resources, and I feel like then is is the point where you're not being resilient. I've given up running a lot, so I'm just... <laughs> hey, after we're done with this, it's snowing out, so we're going to yeah. go for a quick four miles? Quick four miles, quick. yeah. I'll drive, you run. Her question would be, do you give up while you're running, or you just don't run? Um, now that I'm 45, I give up before I even put my shoes on. There was a time where I'm like, come on, we can do this, and I'm going to hit that what a runner's high is that what you call that thing yeah you can yeah call it it's that. a low for me yeah. <laughs> like like oh you just get past 15 minutes and two miles and ball and i'm like no yeah. not happening for me so yeah maybe i'll find it in another form some other way but <laughs> i got better ways to do that so <laughs> i feel so i'm wondering if it would help us define a little bit because we've talked about what resiliency is but what what isn't resiliency what is resiliency not josh why don't we so I don't, and this is really the opportunity for me to get into that other point about when to stop. And so when I say, what is resiliency not? I think what I would like to say is it's not a death sentence. You know, by that I know that's pretty extreme, but being resilient doesn't mean you have to go out and, and kill yourself to you know, overcome challenges, overcome adversity. I think it's understanding your, your limitations. You know, like, I know what my strengths are, I know what my limitations are, and at some point in resiliency, you have to make that. It's like, okay, I've done as much as my mind and my body can do right now. But then you can also use that as a learning tool down the road and go, next time I can go a step further or whatever that thing is. So I, that probably doesn't really answer the question of what is it not. But I know that it's not, um, you know, it doesn't have to be this you know, this very difficult thing, you know, of like, oh, no, I have to be resilient right now. That's probably not even close to what you were asking. No, no. <laughs> there are no expectations here. Yeah. yeah. What, do you, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. So I kind of look at it a little bit from a clinical perspective, I guess. But I would say, like, resiliency is not giving up, right? Mm -hmm. um, resiliency is not um, walking away after your first failure at something. Um, resiliency is not blaming other people you, you know I don't know like certain things like that are kind of recurrent themes in a clinical setting like mm -hmm. here because you know what's the classic thing you think of with psychology like with my mother or yeah my mother, right? <laughs> so um, it, it's not taking ownership mm -hmm. it's not having accountability for your choices and your actions like to me those things so would true. be signs of lack of resiliency and that's mm -hmm. what I work with people um, yeah. on in in practice and the thing is like I say that and I feel like oh my gosh I'm being really harsh but the way I look at it is I mean most people don't choose to not be resilient mm -hmm. okay like this is 
something that's important uh, to understand. Most of us just get to a point where we feel like we're just not capable of this. And we, ha we feel like we have no choice but to give up and to give in. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then what that does is move us away from the things that are important to us, whether it's goals, <clears throat> people, whatever. Um, and so that's, that's a danger when we start to give up and give in. Um, and it has us kind of move away from the things that are important to us. Have us be someone we didn't want to be mm -hmm. in the world. So is there a difference between giving up and changing direction? Um, no, I mean, I think it goes back to some yeah. of what Brian was talking about, which is there's this intersection between like wisdom and resiliency, <laughs> yeah. right? Because I can't yeah. tell you how many times a week I say in some session to a client, like, is this really the hill you want to die on? Mm -hmm. Right? Because yeah. there are times where it is smarter to say, this is my limitation. But at the end of the day, I don't think that giving up is, or, or saying I, I can't pursue this anymore, is a lack of resiliency as long as it doesn't change who you are. Mm -hmm. If you're changing some aspect of yourself in order to say, yeah, that's not important to me anymore, like that seems like it's going to be a problem for that person. I don't know how that could be sure. sustained over time. Mm -hmm. and don't feel like you are the person you want to be. Yeah, and you just said something that hit me pretty hard is, you know, I'm 47 years old and I feel like I'm just getting to a point in my life where I'm really understanding who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we change, you know, as a teenager, 20s, 30s, 40s, and you know, who we are changes throughout the years. Um, but I know for me over the last couple of years, I've really had to look at that and go, who am I or who do I want to be? So when it comes to those <clears throat> things, like do I want being resilient? It's like, well, which direction am, where do I want to go? Where do I want to stop? And and I think it's a really hard question to answer. You know, it's kind of figuring out, um, you mentioned Simon Sinek, like what your why is or why you do the things that you do. And, and after a lot of my own searching, I don't, can't necessarily say this is who I am, but I know what I want to be. And it's, for me, it's very easy. I want to be happy, I want to be strong, and I want to be healthy. Mm -hmm. and, and if I can do things to stay along that path. So I think when it comes to resiliency then, you know, as long as I'm, continuing to do things that are going to make me happy, that are going to let me be fit or strong and let me be, let me be healthy, you know, eating right and taking care of myself. And I think that kind of helps push me towards the resiliency side. Well, I think, I mean, you said a lot in there. I don't know if this will make it in the final cut, but, <laughs> you know, we, we should change actually as people. There isn't, oh, I know who I am and you should be that way for the rest of your life because to me that means you didn't take in the other experiences mm -hmm. you had along the way, like That's getting right. married, having children, yeah. having new, part, you know, new parts of your career. Um, that means you didn't take it in. Mm -hmm. You should be affected by the things that happen to you, by the mm -hmm. people you encounter. Um, but the thing that usually unites us over time is this idea of values. And I guess that's what I've been kind of talking about, what's important to you. So those three things you mentioned are important to you. Mm -hmm. The goals you use to get to achieve those values in your life might change over time. You know, they just, new opportunities present themselves. We do age, so yeah. You know. <laughs> yes, we do. Except for you, Josh. <laughs> But, I just got released uh, from the doctor, so I'm, I'm back. I think, I think they just made me 20 years younger. <laughs> but those values are kind of what anchors us over time. And I think keeping your values, um, you know, as being your, your compass, uh, you know, the, the way that you guide your decisions, the way you guide your life um, is kind of that thing that lets you know, did I give up too soon on something? Or do I need to pursue that value just in a different way? Because I can't 
How many people don't make it into the fire academy? Or how many yeah. people don't make it through the fire academy when they felt this was the only thing they could do? Mm -hmm. Does it mean they weren't resilient? Mm -hmm. No, this just may not be a good match for them. But it doesn't mean not getting to the fire service necessarily means they can't have the life that they think is worth living. Mm -hmm. right? So that's when we go back to that value kind of thing. And we've had people that have been removed from the fire academy because they weren't a good fit at the time mm -hmm. and come back later and done things to yeah. get through the second or yeah. third third try or even you said you took the test five or six times yeah learned something every time you know and that's yeah. you know yeah. just well I'm just gonna keep <clears throat> plugging away at it yeah you know what I, mean? I think I would have regretted and if you look back like the the hindsight is would you look back and regret not taking that last test or calling it there and where would you be now and I feel like I, I was in that moment where I'm like I'm just done I'm done taking tests I'm done I'm done jumping through the hoops they want me to, but every time when you reflect back, you're like, well, they were asking me for character traits, and I was giving them job skills that I could throw ladders. Mm -hmm. And they were asking for what my core is about, and I wasn't giving them the answer they want. Of course, I got a B minus on the test. Like, mm -hmm. that's all there is to it. But you look at that, and you want your end goals. Um, and kind of listening to what you guys are saying, there's, there's five ways to climb Pikes Peak, right? There's different routes. There's different ways of getting to the top. There's car rides up there. So there's, you know, it's not all about it's it's your journey and I feel like that that's what helps us through it is just reminding yourself what your journey is and sometimes you just got to call it off at base camp and say I'm not climbing today yeah. I'm not gonna make the it gets hazardous to get to the top I'm not mentally there but next Academy or next go-round or next officer cycle or next whatever opportunity it is you can drive yourself to be in a different place or a better place or mm -hmm. you know maybe there's some other bigger personal decisions in the middle of that 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 you don't need to express to people that you just are honest to yourself about and and that that helps you get through that journey and that i think that's an important point you know life's a journey mm -hmm. right we shouldn't define ourselves on our successes and failures in one mm -hmm. one instant and so maybe that's part of being resilient is recognizing that hey this is we're talking about the long term here yeah um, and it's not just one one thing that's going to allow us uh, to fail, uh, fail or su be successful as a human, you know, it's it's the collection of the whole at the end of the at the end of the lifetime that's <laughs> going to determine whether yeah, we're resilient and how we how we manage these things. That's how you define success, too. What what is it? Is it sure money and property is your success, or is you know good grounded family your success, right. or <laughs> is yeah you know like a, it like. Really, what hard, hard you have to, to have that definition in mind of your end game because success might be having as little as possible when you're done with this life and enjoying every little thing you have instead of forgetting what you have or whatever. So, that's our, our job, too. I mean, maybe success for one person is I want to retire after 30 years of being a firefighter, you know, mm -hmm. sitting in the plug seat, and maybe after 30 years, they're like, I did it. That was, yeah. you know, that's what I've been, or you know, I want to be chief of the fire department, you know, and, yeah. and anything in between. So, yeah, yeah. it's. The uh, success versus failure is kind of a, it, it's a tricky one. I mean, it's, that's another just really individual, individual piece. Yeah. Well, and how many of you have changed your definition of success in your oh. life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when that balances out, you'll know. 
know, yeah, figure you, out what your success is. So you definitely change over time. I can't imagine if I hadn't changed, I'd be like a fifty-year-old Jeff Spicoli right now. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it just doesn't seem to fit, right? Yeah. You know, we so have you those though, have and they're completely happy. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have to kind of evolve right. and change to, to meet what the world's presenting to you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so pizza. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Hand, this is our pizza. <laughs> um, so let's talk about are resilient people born or are they made? And I and I kind of reflect back on the, the age-old leadership question, are, are mm-hmm. leaders born or are they made? Um, Can I start on this one? Sure. Because I, I think it's both. I think there's a genetic component to some of this. Um, I think that some people are born with the ability to adapt better. Um, but I think that's just a very small piece of it. I think the bigger piece is it's something that we learn over time. And, and it can be from a very young age, um, you know, all the way through adulthood. And I think we continue to learn as we get older. Or I guess we should be attempting to continue to learn as we get older because some people get sidetracked. And, mm-hmm. you know, they get to the point in life where they're just, they're, they're done. And, and then things go sideways and, and, and things can fall apart. But um, I know, Judith, you and I have talked about this before. Um, you can learn um, s- skills and techniques to make you better at something. But I think that it's, you know, the key to it is starting with the small things and, and, and then working up to the big problems. Or, you know, when you're, when you're little and um, you're handed a, a small problem. I mean, and uh, I mean, it can be something like you know, you you lost a you lost the toy, and you know, you cry over, it, but then you get over it. Um, and then as you get older, you know, hey, I just lost my job, you know, and and now I'm getting over it. <laughs> and and those things keep com- um, compounding. So I think it can be developed over over time. And I think that's the bigger side of this that you don't have to worry about. Oh, I wasn't bur- born with the right genes to be you know to be resilient. I think that anybody can with the right tools and the right mentorship and friendships can learn to be more resilient over time. Um, if you're your collection of your own experiences, so who you are right now is developed based on your experiences through life, I would argue that you are made being resilient because the things that in your early life impact you so much in your later life. For example, if you're a victim of child abuse, you know, you may not be as resilient, you know, in your adulthood, or you may be more resilient because of that you know, adulthood. So um, that's where I would say that being resilient is probably made. It's probably the collection of your experience and, and going through um, crisis, going through uh, situations in your life where you've had to overcome and you've had the support around you to help you overcome so you gain that self-confidence in overcoming things seems to me that's where you become resilient and does that end in childhood I would argue no it probably starts in childhood and continues for the rest of your life because you're gonna go through times in your life where you're gonna need help you know we're very Human, the human animal is very communal. We, we like to live in groups. That's why we create community. And that's why we create families because it's, you know, we're not the, the fastest animal. We're not the strongest animal. We're not the smartest animal. But together we get a lot of work done, you know, and we survive. 
And so to be resilient, I think it's a collection of not only your experience, but the support you've had around you throughout your life. You know, when, when you hit that rough time and you needed it, did you have that support to help teach you how to be resilient and teach you that it was going to be okay and help you push through that? So I don't know if you have a... Well, I guess I don't think too much about the maybe genetic components of resiliency because they're almost irrelevant to me as a therapist. Sure. Um, and in fact, it, there's almost a moral imperative for me to believe that the person sitting across from me can change. Mm. Right? If I didn't believe that, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't. Then I would not. Sure. Uh, therapy could not work. Right. Yeah. Or, um, so I feel like it's mostly learned and I feel like what resiliency is for one person just may not be the same as for another person. Mm -hmm. I do think it's based on experiences, um, but no matter what your experiences are, I do believe there's room to be able to find out some way to gain a life that's worth living. Mm -hmm. I just, I always have to believe that. So I guess I just don't think too much about like, is it innate or learned? It's learned. Sure. <laughs> it's learned through mm -hmm. like the experiences you described, whether we mm -hmm. have them in childhood or didn't have them in childhood. Um, you know, you learn them <clears> in the fire <throat> service from each other. Um, so to me, they are learned. It's interesting because it, yeah, it pops in my head of maybe having that grown up in your life or that parent that just doesn't deal with stuff and closes the door. And then when you become that grown up parent, you're like, I ain't doing that. I'm gonna confront things up. I'm gonna sit and I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna talk and I'm gonna be patient. I'm not gonna freak out. I'm not gonna yell. Mm -hmm. Versus the person who had a very disciplinary parent who was involved in all of their stuff and was all over the top of them on everything and was on their grades and was on, you know, and that, that person makes a vow as they get older and mature through their path that they're like, I am not gonna do that to my generation, my next kids and my, you know, or myself. Like I'm not, I'm gonna have some grace with myself because my grown up didn't. So I feel like some of those adverse challenges um, change perspective when you realize how awful you feel during them. Mm -hmm. And it helps you to kind of gain insight to making that change. Because a lot of those changes come from failure a lot of those changes come from failure on either who was supposed to be watching you or who was overwatching you. And you kind of just vow in your world to, to move on and do something different. You know, mm -hmm. the I vowed not to work as much. I vowed to be there as many times as I can. And I had I was a latchkey kid and my, my mom went to work in the morning and came home at dinner time. My dad went to work at three in the afternoon and came home at eleven thirty at night. So I'd only see him Saturdays and Sundays and I'm like I want to be in my kids' lives as much as I possibly can. Some of that is not being in our work world's life as much, like not being fully, fully dedicated to coming in way too early and staying way too late. Like it's a generational thing I think that happened to me as I watched, you know, my parents provide what they provided with the little bit of resources that they had. And I feel like they kind of felt stuck. Whereas my generation, I'm like, oh, the world is mine and I can open up any door and I can push through that and I can develop myself and I can have goals because I don't know that they have, I think their goals is just to make it like they just want to come to the end and have kids that don't suck and have, you know, that's the goal I take on as well. But I also look at the fact that y you you have different modalities to do that and you kind of recognize that and, and, and maybe because we're 40-ish here on the table that there's a, another generation of firefighters that's like, well, that's not how I would do it. And I, I think it just defines as, as you see how you were treated growing up or how maybe you were mistreated when you were growing up. And that, 
that builds that same thing because it could be a barrier but also it could be a powerful tool to go i will never throw things at my kids i will never hit them with spatulas you know what i mean like you kind of change that as you go through because of the reaction that your family had to it or your friend's house every time you went over there you were like man that guy gets beat up all the time i'm never gonna hit my kids like mm -hmm. so or vice versa like i've been way too standoffish with some kids and <laughs> you're like i need to have some discipline not physical, but you know, I mean, we need to have some rules and boundaries and you learn that stuff. So I think that helps develop who you're gonna be when you start making those observations, whether you're intentionally doing it or whether you walk up and go, oh, I'm glad I don't do that because that sure didn't change for me my whole life, so. Yeah. It's listening to this, it's also made me realize how resiliency can be either contagious, you know, contagious on the positive side or the negative side too, especially in our world, you know, depending on the station we're working at, the crew, um, you know, that the, the, the culture of, of that group can really affect that resiliency in a positive or negative way, too. Because when you have a group of really motivated people that are, you know, wanting to work hard and do good things, it's easy to, you know, have that resiliency with that group. And it probably comes down to what you were talking about, Chief, about wanting to be part of that, you know, the culture, the group, you know, the tribe. Um, or the flip side of that, too, is if somehow you end up at a station or a place with a crew that is not motivated or isn't in a great place, it's, it can be very easy to get pulled down that path as well. So I think that that can affect you know, our job, just us coming to work and the, um, who we're around every day can affect us as well you know, on, on how well we're able to deal with you know, work stress, life stress, you know, all those different things. What's changed generationally from, like I picture my grandfather, World War II veteran, very hard individual, you know, and he would argue that our generation is not as resilient because yeah. we're softer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I've so there's an argument there for are, sure. are, we, are we losing resiliency because of the things that you're talking about? Well. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, or I do, maybe um, I wouldn't say we're we're losing it. I think we're just changing the end game of it. Like, are we? You know, I I feel like we're all getting through this world okay, and we're providing what we feel like is important to provide. And it, it just is things have changed. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like that we're more accepting and more tolerant, and we're more, um, you know, not that there's any bad traits that come out of that 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 generation, but it. Mm -hmm. it it, it, things develop and change and we gain knowledge and we gain perspective of what happens when you yell at kids when they're four and how that sticks with them till they're 30 and they have health problems because of that or how waking up to the red light and the sound for 30 years affects your cortisol and your your development like we we have science and things that have helped us through that process to learn that and we can embrace the psychology of that we can embrace the you know, not that anything your, your grandpa did in the time was wrong, but like we look at it now, we're like, well, we just aren't doing that anymore. It's, mm -hmm. you know, where the internal combustion engine has changed over generations, right? So we're on electric cars now. Okay, we're just not doing that anymore. We're kind of just changing how the world is phasing out mm -hmm. and changing. So I feel like we're just adapting. And that's what, I mean, you, you talk about humans and and our, our need to be a pack. And, and you know, I, I feel like that we just evolve with how our world changes and what the social norms are and what the cultural norms are. And, and you know, you, you could yell at your kid in a supermarket 15 years ago. 
I'm sure of it because I yelled at mine and everybody's like clapping for me and now now it's a different world because there's other ways to teach our kids that we've proven to be a little bit better on them as they become adults so um, there's people have actually researched it and just said well that worked for us so I'm gonna use it on them they said well does it like let's put it to the test and they've done projects and research and they've done papers on it and we call them experts and then we take that on and move it forward until the next expert pops in our world so priorities have definitely changed too I mean yeah, you look absolutely. at the older generation even coming on the job um, you know you listen to some of the guys like Roddy Bartlett would talk about coming into work in uniform and then um, you know doing his uh, morning inspection in his class A hat and then he would get up the next morning and he'd put his, his uh, uniform back on before he'd go home and um, you know so not saying that today's culture, our generation, the one coming up behind us has a different respect for the job, but just a different priority where, you know, I think that Roddy Bartlett's generation, you know, it was, you had to look a certain way and be a certain way and it showed how much, you know, um, how you felt about the job. But today, I think that this, the younger generation is, is onto something, you know, they're looking at a, a different work-life balance than I think what the older generation or some of us look at. And they know that it's okay to leave here and go home and turn this place off and go do other things. And, you know, they don't have to work a thousand hours of overtime every year, um, you know, and I think they plan their lives a little bit differently. So I think it'll be interesting to see in 20 years from now, you know, what this, you know, what this shift will mean. Um, but it's definitely, I definitely don't see a huge negative side to it. I just think it's a it's um, just a shift in priorities. Mm -hmm. So maybe not not the softening of society, so to speak, but a shift in priority rather. Yeah, and and maybe those people that you know they they leave work and they go do something completely different and they come back. Maybe they're going to have a longer, healthier career than than mm -hmm. some of us because they learn how to do that early on, and they learn how to turn it off and you know, kind of find that better work-life balance than maybe what some of the older generations did. Sure. They certainly aren't going to have an 18-year-old that's been mad at them for 10 years sometimes. So <laughs> I feel like that, you know, you get stressed at work and you take that out at home and, uh, and there's something to that. I start seeing the, the quality of life the other two-thirds of the time that we spend it somewhere else. Like you work hard here and the weekends do pay for themselves, but it's also you know, we're learning more about sleep, right? We're learning more about taking a minute to be mindful and, and just shut your brain down so you can get up all night and do this thing that we do every night. Or uh, you can you can react to situations and have have a, a smart reaction to that situation. And, and sometimes it does take that rest. We're figuring out in our firehouses that it's okay to like sit down at, after lunch and just chill for a minute, give some discretionary time to our firefighters so they can be good on the next job so we can have the next call out and we're not short with our customers and we're not burned out and we're not you know overseeing and overusing we're talking about events when we get back from them with our crew is a healthier way because look at Roddy Bartlett's generation it wasn't a thing like it wasn't you know and, and I'm sure they did talk about it and they had their way of going through that process but we have a much different way that's healthier for us so recognizing those traits is kind of like we talked about earlier with that that parent, good or bad or indifferent, like I don't want to be that when I grow up, you know, and I don't want to be limping off this job. So maybe we start shortening our careers and not dropping for five when we're at 30 years. We drop for five when we're at 25 years and mm -hmm. we have five more years of retirement or whatever that looks like. We're, we're becoming more smart about it. And 
I think it's it's through the research or through you know the 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 study packages that are out there from the IFF and from all these different things that are trying to keep us safe out there. We're we're looking at that going yeah that 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 definitely needs to make us go home a little bit sooner and make mm -hmm. us a lot more healthier and eating right in the fire station is different like mm -hmm. it's different than when we came on twenty some years ago so. Well, it's interesting you say that because um, spending all those years at Station 4, you know, spending 17 years in a sleep-deprived sleep, sleep mm -hmm. deprived environment, um, I don't think I realized how tired I was. Mm -hmm. And if I was tired, I'd always just push through it, which I would argue is resiliency, right? So is there a point <laughs> at which resiliency becomes destructive? That's a fact. You know, where Everybody's your, been laughing that's, to hear that. That's your really relationships, your, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. A, that's what I mean. It's not a death sentence. It's like you got to know when it's time. And I think that's what's so hard about us in this profession, this career, whether it's police, military, fire, you know, whatever those things are. It's like we're we're doers, and and we don't know when to say enough. Um, so I think it's hard for us to recognize. Like you know, you spend you, you run, you're at fours, and you're kind of in that mode, and you're like, this is what I do, and this is what I have to do. But sometimes I think it takes somebody else to look at you and go you're tired, you know, like I can see it in your eyes. Mm -hmm. and, and for you to be able to listen to that person and for us <laughs> as a culture, as a department to go, that's okay, you know, it's all right. Yeah. You know, you don't have to, you know, spend your entire career at ones or eights or fours. You know, you, there's mm -hmm. other things in the job. I, that's one of the things I appreciate about coming here to staff is not really knowing after spending my career has been eights, sevens, fours, you know, 19s. And, and before coming here, you don't know how tired you are until you had a, have a chance to sleep in your own bed every night and go home and have dinner at home and, and have what is a normal life for most people out there. And you realize it's like, yeah. man, we really beat ourselves up, you know, in this career, mm -hmm. especially over 30 years. Oh, I definitely agree with that. I don't think I realized how tired I was until I left. Yeah. And then. Well, and look you, at our kids. They're going to be the next generation of like, man, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to work 24 hour shifts or I'm not going to work nights or they're going to try and do things differently. And a you know, perfect example this year, our, our kids wanted to, my kids want to put up the Christmas tree so bad. And I'm like, I don't like first week of December is when I do a Christmas tree. And they're like, we'll just take care of it. So I left the house for a little bit. I came back and it was nearly done. And it's like a 13 foot, five section, <laughs> six foot round base of a tree. And the kids are like, why do you freak out every year? You got to do this. That was actually kind of easy. And I'm like, well, I just got off a shift. I've just been running my butt off all night. I came home late to you guys jumping up and down, begging me to do something that my body and my brain was not willing to do. And then I submitted to that and I begrudgingly threw the Christmas tree mm -hmm. together and broke every piece on the way. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, you know, it never happened during four days. It's always when you're coming off a shift, right? Sure, so, yeah. so my kids have just kind of like, well, I'm no, I'm not going to work at night now. Like that's going to mess things up for our little yeah. family mojo. So you kind of walk out there and you go, well, I did it again. How many years in a row do you say that before yeah. you make a change? My, uh, my son said something to me not too long ago since I've been here in the staff position and He's, I can't remember what we were talking about, but he goes, Dad, you're different. And I go, <laughs> like, thanks. Like, thanks, buddy. What do you mean? <laughs> and he goes, well, you just, you seem happier now. <laughs> and, and it kind of took me back a little bit. Like, well, what does that mean? Who right. was I before is really right. what, is what I took. I'm like, man, what did I do? 
Like, did I do something wrong? And, and I asked him, I'm like, are, are you good, buddy? I mean, am I a good dad for you? And, and he goes, yeah, you're a good dad. He's just, I just noticed that you were different. And, uh, yeah. and I think it is because of what we're talking about. Yeah. It's because of, you know, just the, the, the wear and tear in our body and our minds from being here yeah. and trying to find that reset and figuring out a way to, you know, get that balance back. Well, that, what can we do for each other to help point that out? Because I know if somebody, 20 years ago, somebody would have said, hey, you're tired, you need to get out of force. They're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just doing my thing, you know. Um, so what is it we can do to help not only people in the fire service, but our families? Um, when you see stressors with your kids or your spouses or just other people in general, you know, what are some of the things that we can do to help people be more resilient? This is one that nobody's going to like, but I think there should be like an annual go to Judith day. <laughs> Judith, has, has Judith will like it. <laughs> yeah. Talk to everybody. Yeah. And you know, whether you want to say anything or not, but just to go in and, you know, just have a day where it's like, hey, this is my day. I go in and, and I talk and, and Judith can go, yeah, you need help. <laughs> or, hey, you're doing great, you know, whatever those things are. But um, I, I think the open conversation that we're having right now is, is the start. Um, I think that we're changing the culture of the job by being willing to have these conversations and say, hey, I'm tired. Hey, I'm, I'm, my body's hurt, my mind's my mind shot, whatever those things are. Because I think a lot of it comes down to acceptance from yourself. So I don't know. I don't know if it's something, you know, we as, as a job, because as many times as you come in and, and I'm like, gee, if you've been here since five o'clock in the morning and it's eight o'clock at night, you need to go home. And, you know, but you're like, yeah, that's my job. You know, and so. Just push through, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. One of the things that comes to mind for me is just uh, not assuming, right? Because I think that we have a lot of rules in our head what does it mean to be a good firefighter? Or what does it mean mm -hmm. to be a good parent? And um, when we take those things and we don't really sit down and evaluate them, or you know, what's important to me, it's kind of what other people tell me is important to me. If we don't sit down and evaluate those things, we're really just kind of living this mindless existence, I think. And so, I don't know, like, it's, it's giving up, like I hear people say it's, it's soft to do that or it's not resilient to do that. And, mm -hmm. and you, if someone had said to you, you just need to get out of force, in your head, you were probably thinking, like, that's not what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's questioning some of those assumptions that we make, whether or not they work for us and some of the other goals we have in mind, um, is kind of the exercise we need to engage in. So that the idea of visiting Judith, um, to me, is really just about what is that evaluation? Where am I? Mm -hmm. How am I doing? That self-awareness piece, which I know we talked about mm -hmm. emotional intelligence before, kind of goes mm -hmm. back to some of that for me. Sure. It and Judith, so the interesting thing that I thought about recently is like it's really cool in our job to go to the gym and work out. You know, it's okay to go work on your muscles, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, to eat right or go run and do cardio. You know, why do we not look at mm -hmm. our mind the same way? I don't why know. Is that not, like, yeah. why is it, why don't is ask it, the psychologist that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have like enough like, time, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> you see somebody going across the street to Judith, you're not like, yeah, right on, they're going to the gym. You know, yeah. they're going to work they're going to work on yeah. themselves. We don't look at it that way. We should and have I chess think that's tournaments. a problem with our with what's that? Chess tournaments so we can just like 
mentally start <laughs> developing ourselves more mature. Yeah. yeah, and I almost feel like on principle, though, it's like uh, you sh like you don't necessarily need the psychologist. Yeah. To, you know what I mean? We should be learning these skills as people, but we don't. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like just like each of us can normally take control of most of our own physical health. We don't feel the same way yeah. about our mental health, our, our well-being, our level of um, functioning, and you know, who am I kind of stuff. Yeah. Like that's just yeah. really ethereal, scary stuff to us. But there are, I think, there are skills and approaches that mm -hmm. we can learn. But we we're still on the fringe. Like I'm very much impacted by my tough love grandfather. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're still on the fringe of, you know being worthy to that generation or being worthy to that grandfather and what would that grandfather do you know because that was partly my example growing up of how how to be resilient and push through and you show don't show your weaknesses right yeah that's tough. you know and so maybe as that fades out that changes over time too yeah what um but that's i, I think probably the answer to your question because we were taught by generations that were more tough love generation yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think now, you know, the one of the big words out there is vulnerability, you know, and, and courage. And I think that this is kind of that shift from going to the tough love into understanding that there's a lot of strength and courage and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. And, and, and I'm not saying, you know, talk about your, you know, not just talking about your weaknesses or, you know, things that are, are hurtful or anything like that, but um, you know, just allowing people to understand who you are a little bit better and, and, and putting yourself out there. Um, and I think that that kind of makes a cultural shift too, because I think we've talked about it before where, you know, when, um, like earlier this year, when I was going through my own issues um, and I was willing to talk about them, I had people that were, would come up to me and, and go, man, you know, I've been through the same thing or I've been through something similar. And, and that just made me feel better because it's like I'm not alone. You know, there's, you know, other people, the rest of us, I think most of us on this job at one point or another in their career are going to go through something, whatever that thing is, you know, whether it's um, physical, emotional, you know, financial, job related, home related. Um, and us having the vulnerability and the courage to be able to talk about it and, and, and uh, you know, kind of put ourselves out there. And I think that that kind of breaks that mold of the tough love a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. We also look at like the accountability piece. Um, a lot of that tough love generation, they're some of the best alcoholics I know. <laughs> like they've supplemented that with something else. Like I look yeah. at that and I'm like, you know, but I have a generation now where I have people, I go through a hard time and I have a, a you know, somebody that's like, hey, how's your drinking? Because they know that's where my genes are going to turn, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they're going to call me out on it. They're going to make me vulnerable and go, e. Not so great this week and subconsciously I'm gonna go into next week and go yeah I need to make a change because I'm, I'm doing something that's not healthy for myself mm -hmm. or um, but I, I think like it, a lot of it boils down to like what we define as mentorship and yeah and and taking the opportunity if you're walking away with something in your gut listen to it if someone if they're saying man you probably have to turn around and talk to this person about whatever's going on um, whether it's a peer supporter or whether it's an officer that recognizes something and um, you know, in the last last few years, I've just been in some awful situations that mentally I was like, I am not going to make it through this. And there's that mentor that goes, hey, man, you're fine. We've all been there. It sucks. It's awful. Whether it was a diving 
problem that I had in the heavy rescue program or whether it's a personal problem I've been having at home, uh, it's a lack of sleep and they go, hey, we've all been through this, it's okay. Let's make a change. What do you need? How can I support you? Um, but looking for those social cues, and we started kind of from a top-down approach, which is excellent when we talk about, um, you know, the upcoming things about about the the emotional IQ and things like that. Now, now we have battalion chiefs that are walking, looking out for our well-being, and can see when we walk in the room that we're a different person than we were last week, and calling that out, saying, "Hey, come talk to me in the office. You doing all right?" Not just saying, "Yeah, man, that sucks. Good luck with that." They're, they're helping us through that stuff, and, and, and we're all helping each other through that stuff. We have people that are recognizing that with people they don't even know on our job that are brand new, saying, hey, you doing okay? You look a little bit different than yesterday, because we're starting to ingrain that into our culture of taking care of each other. We are always willing to take care of each other, you know, on an incident or on a fire, on a TA. We're always watching out. We always have a safety that takes care of everybody. And now when we're in our stations, I feel like we do have that safety as well. And it's everybody is accountable for each other. And that's what the crew integrity comes with. And those things all help out with that. And I know there's a lot of movement. And that's, that's one thing that I've always found in my career that's been tough is that movement. Because when you go from station to station or you're out roving, you kind of want a part of something bigger than you. You're, you're, you're like, this is my seat on the engine and that's my med box. And then I go to station six, and this is my seat, and this is the engine, and that's my med box. When you start to be ingrained into a, a, a crew, whether you picked it or it picked you, or that's where you got assigned, we've taken care of each other in those crews. We watch each other. We make sure our kids are growing up healthy. We make sure we're being good parents. We make sure we're you know, doing the right thing for the job and, and mentoring people through advancement in this career and things like that. So I, I feel like that's a huge component to our society is the integrity of each other because we know Josh can see me walk in we work together plenty for years and he can see when I'm not feeling great and go hey he's willing to call me out on it what's up man you look mm -hmm. like you're not yourself everything okay and then I can go no I'm pretty messed up right now or yeah I'm fine I just didn't sleep well last night and that's usually not the end of it it's like well is there anything I can do to help you sleep better Are you working too hard at home can I help you on the weekends or that stuff is what we're doing as a, as a culture. So mm -hmm. I feel like just p trusting that gut when you have that in front of you and going, hey, hacked on that. Because I've done that to myself. I've done that about other people. I'm like, ah, I probably should have just said something. Oh, well. And then it bothers you for a long time. Mm -hmm. It changes who you are. So we're now the, the generation speaking up in this fire service. And I think yeah. that's important. That gut or that intuition, like you said, intuition yeah. earlier. And what I've found is every time that I have that uh, intuitive feeling and I don't listen to it, I usually it's usually a wrong decision. <laughs> it's exactly. like, oh man, I should I should listen to my gut on though, this one. Right? It's there when the when the building changes form or makes a sound you're not familiar with. Like we have yeah. that on the fire scene. Yeah. Why do we not have that in our firehouses? Why are we not going? Hey, you good? No, let's go to the shop and talk for a little bit. Yeah. Let's sit down. You don't seem like yourself. Right. And those are the tough conversations that we're <clears throat> willing to take part in now instead of the generation mm -hmm. of, well, suck it up, man. We've all been through that. That's a bummer. Yeah, and I don't mm -hmm. want to be unfair to the generations that went before us because for the time they were in and the things they knew, I feel like they rose to the challenges yes, they had and the true. way they knew to true. respond to them. So. So it's not like I look back and say, oh, tough love was such a silly approach. It's like, no, it was the approach. Yes, and right. and the evolved. fact that our grandparents partook in that actually speaks to their resilience in their mm -hmm. time. Sure. Um, but it would, to me, seem silly to not recognize that we have new information, as Brian talked about, about how these things affect us. 
And so to just say, yeah, but they said it should be tough love, right? That to mm -hmm. me is not, there's kind of this, we're talking about like, uh, what do you call it? Individual resiliency, mm -hmm. but in some ways there's cultural resiliency too. Sure. And if we don't as a culture kind of respond to information that is just right here, uh, that would that would not seem so resilient to me. Mm -hmm. So we're, res we're responding and we'd have to take the judgment of our grandparents that we're softer or whatever and yeah. And you, you can look at it through their eyes and say, oh, I, I get how you see that. It's just not the way I feel about it. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have I different love, perspectives. Sorry. I love how this conversation also kind of shifted to, we're talking about resiliency, and it kind of shifted to um, groups, you know, and we started talking about, like, everything that we've just been discussing for the last few minutes has how we have done this together. It's not, not really how I have built my own resiliency. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about how we as a, as a fire department, our, our friends, you know, mm -hmm. how we've kind of done this together. And I think that's really interesting, you know, that's like, that's, a, that's gotta be just a huge part of this is having those relationships to continue to build resiliency or, you know, live that, live that happy life that you wanna live. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. which actually goes back to this idea, like if, it, if it's learned socially through others, which I tru truly believe it is, then it's actually not innate. Yeah, right. <laughs> Resiliency yeah, yeah. is something that is learned mm -hmm. through our interactions with others. Yeah. Okay, everybody, I'd like to thank you for listening this week. That's the end of episode one. Again, there will be an episode two. We're going to put that out next week. If you'd like to stick around, uh, Dr. Long is going to give us a little bit of her history and a little bit of her background. It's kind of a meet CSFD segment. Um, where we get to meet some of the people that we work with that we don't talk to every day. We're getting to be a big enough department uh, where we don't necessarily know everybody, but if you saw you know, Judith uh, this week, and we'll introduce Brian next week, and he can tell a little bit of his story. Um, if you walked into, this, into a station and you didn't know him, uh, you would have something in common with him because you know a little bit about him. So stick around for a, a Meet CSFD, and join us next week for the second part of this podcast. And, and thank you for joining us this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Yep. Thanks for hanging out with us at the kitchen table. How about next time I be the host and you be the sidekick? Sounds good. We'll All do right. that. I like that. I'll okay. be your, I'll be Bert. You be Ernie. No, wait. wait a you second. be Bert. I'll be Ernie. I, uh, how about Ren and No, that doesn't. Bert and Ernie? Ren and Stimpy. That's let's, already... let's, let's think about that. Okay. I think we need to come up with a better plan. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. <laughs> But I'm Judith Long. I'm the staff psychologist for the department. And I was uh, born in Philly, raised in the suburbs of New Jersey, just outside of Philly. Please, I hope no one holds that against Are you me. Like a Camden <laughs> kid? I am, yeah. Okay, so Camden, just outside yeah. of Camden, yeah. Nice. Um, and I went to school uh, for psychology in uh, New Jersey. And then at, and I wasn't clinical, though, when I first started. And so it was kind of working in this like um, IT world where I was doing something called human factors engineering. It's where we design like graphical user interfaces and stuff like that, that I decided I wanted to go clinical. And so I had moved out to Colorado and 9-11 happened and it was like kind of significant to me on a lot of different levels. Mm -hmm. I had left a lot of people back in New York and New mm -hmm. Jersey. And so I thought, you know, why am I wasting my life working in a field I don't really like? So I went back to school and got a clinical degree, my doctorate in uh, psych, and uh, kind of started working with military first when I graduated and got uh, interested in working with first responders. I have a family full of first responders, mm -hmm. and it's just something I've always thought about really for 
a long time. And so in 2011, I think, is when I started working for the department. So I've been here for just about 10 years. Sorry, real quick. What was the difference in a the PhD and the PH? Are the I'm probably oh, saying it wrong. Oh, uh, So PsyD versus PhD. Yes. And what, so that's the difference <laughs> in the psychologist and the psychiatrist, or it's actually not. Both can be psychologists. Psychiatrists are MDs. Okay. Um, PsyD and um, uh, PhD. The difference is uh, PhD is more research oriented, typically goes into academia, research environments. PsyD is applied. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, instead of getting like a doctor of medicine, you kind of become an MD, you're right. a practitioner, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what a PsyD is. I'm a practitioner. My school taught me how to be a therapist, okay. not just how to do research. Although I had to do, I still had to do original research to right. be a doctorate. <laughs> So with the first responders in your family, pretty easy transition to get used to the, the quirky personalities within the, within the fire service? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't say that it was quirky per personalities that I had yeah. to get used to, right? I mean, everything's like part, every person is part of a culture and it's trying to learn how, I don't know, everyone's still an individual, but part of this larger group and what connects them and, and where are they different kind of thing. I don't know. But getting to know them at this level rather than as a sister <laughs> yeah. or, or whatever is very different than sure. um, getting to know them you know, in order to be able to help them with the stress and trauma related to the job. Sure. Was that something that you met Jamie through peer counseling? or? Uh, Jamie and I met when she was part of the peer support team. Okay. And I kind of came in. I think she was part of the team in 2011 when I started with oh. it. Um, but I didn't um, have very many one-on-one -on -one interactions with her until a little bit later, sure. a few years into it. Okay. Very cool. We are certainly very appreciative that you're here, here being in this room and here being on this department. You've done a lot of good things for us. So um, I know um, I speak for many people in the department that we're very proud to have, you know, be a department that's recognized that peer support is important and that we're willing to have a, a staff psychologist on our department um, rather than not, or rather than farm it out to a pri private company. So thank you for being here and thank you for being part of our family. Yeah, I really like being here. So, you know, I had a kind of varied career before I got to this, but I feel like I'm home now. And I kind of feel like I'm at home in this department. So I really well, that. well, you're stuck with us now. Yeah. So. <laughs> so it's not very often that the fire department brings stability to somebody's life. <laughs>